You're about to hear a sermon from Han Vision Church in Lawrenceville, Georgia, delivered by Joe Song from our study on the gospel according to Matthew. Thanks for listening to Han Vision. Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 to 14. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat uh, to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Amen. All right. I was really excited to get here to this passage because this is the feeding of the 5,000, which is like, you know, it's awesome. Everyone knows this story. It's such a good, this is an amazing miracle. But then for some reason, I feel like the Lord was like, stop, stop here today. He keeps cutting my message down shorter and shorter because I feel like he has something just very specific to say just from these two verses. And so it's like, I wanted, I've been wanting to get to the feeding of the 5,000 for like last three weeks. And every time I want to get there, God's like, no, no, stop. There's things before there that you need to get to. And uh, so he just kind of stopped me here. Um, and so here we go. Let's just look at these two verses. So it says that Jesus, when he heard this, he withdrew from a from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Can we put up that verse? Right? So the, when he heard this, he withdrew from there. What is this? Well, if you just look right before, what did he just hear? Last week, we talked about how Jesus heard the news of how John the Baptist died. Right? And at the very end, John the Baptist's disciples went and told Jesus what happened to John. And what happened to John was he was, a, he was beheaded, he was murdered by a guy named Herod, who was a fake king who thought himself to be really great and because of his sinfulness, decided to kill a guy who was better than him, right? It's a horrible, horrible way for a man to die. And then Jesus hears this and he's disturbed. He's not just disturbed. I, I can't, it doesn't talk about what he's feeling, but I can imagine that Jesus is really upset because we forget that John the Baptist is actually Jesus's cousin. Um, and they're, they're about the same age. If you read in Luke, you see that when Elizabeth, his, John's mother, she had, she had a baby. It was crazy because she's really old and you know, and she has this baby and they, they decide to name him John because an angel told his father and it's this miracle baby. And this miracle baby was going to do something incredible, was going to be the one who, who has a special task in his life. And then Elizabeth has like this relative named Mary who gets pregnant miraculously, even though she's, she's never been with a man. And then she runs to Elizabeth's house because she's afraid that, you know, people are going to like stone her to death because she's never been with anyone, but then she's pregnant. So people are going to think she did something bad. And so she runs to flee to Elizabeth's house. And then Elizabeth is also pregnant. And then Mary's pregnant as well. And then in Elizabeth's womb, which is John, he leaps for joy. She feels the baby kick for joy as soon as Mary walks into the house. And then Elizabeth starts to prophesy saying, like my womb leapt for joy because because of the baby that's inside of yours. There is this link between John the Baptist and Jesus from birth. They're cousins. John was a few months older. I don't know about you guys, but I grew up with some cousins and 
a couple that are a couple years younger than me, and they were like my younger brothers. You grew up together. You just do things together. We caught frogs together. <laughs> you know, there are all these things. And one of like the happiest moments that I remember in my life was when I got when I saw my cousins accept Jesus, and when I got to lead one of them to Christ. You know, and. That's how I felt about my cousins. Now, John and Jesus were cousins and they were so close. I imagine that they, they must have been. Because Jesus later in life, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, this is how Jesus describes John while he was alive. Jesus says that John the Baptist, he says, Truly I say among you, among those born of women, there has risen no greater than John the Baptist. That's how Jesus feels about John. John's, Jesus says, oh, John the Baptist, my, my, my older cousin, he is the greatest man who has ever lived. And Jesus, who's God, knows all the men who's ever lived. And so for him to say that John is the greatest of all people who've been born is like, it's pretty incredible. This is how, what Jesus feels about his cousin. Like I love, Jesus loves this guy. And then he gets murdered by Herod because of sin. This is loss. This is grief. So much pain from losing someone you love, someone close. And not just being lost, but them being taken from you. To the point where Jesus stops what he's doing to be alone. I mean, to stop Jesus from doing what he's doing. Do you know what Jesus is doing? He's got three years to save the world, to tell the world the gospel message. And so everywhere he goes, he preaches and preaches and preaches. And then he stops because he hears that John is murdered. And he grieves and he just wants to be alone. So he withdraws and gets on a boat to to get alone. What this tells me about Jesus is that Jesus is a real person. He's not this impartial, like demigod with no feelings. He knows loss. He knows what it means to suffer. He knows what it means to lose someone. And it hurts him. In John chapter 11, verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. He, his, he lost a friend named Lazarus and he weeps. In Luke 13, 34, he weeps over the city of Jerusalem because he sees all the people that are going to get lost that are not going to believe. Jesus weeps over every loss. Have you lost someone? Jesus knows your loss. And he weeps with you. He weeps with us in our mourning. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Because Jesus knows what it means to mourn. It's really likely that Jesus lost his father, his earthly father, when he was young. Because His father, Joseph, is never mentioned after 12 years old. 
So it's really likely that Jesus' dad died when he was young. Jesus knows what it means to lose family members. So he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And who do you think is going to be the one who does the comforting? Jesus himself. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, talking about Jesus, it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness because he's a high priest who knows our grief, who knows our pain, who knows our losses, who knows the loneliness, who knows our sorrow. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, prophesying about what Jesus was going to be like. It said this, it said, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Jesus' name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He doesn't just watch you as you mourn. He joins you. He is with you in your pain. God with us. That's Jesus. You think that God can't understand what you're going through. Well, and maybe you think no one can understand what you're going through. And you might be right. No one can except for Jesus. You're not alone in your pain. He comes down and he is with us. And so Jesus, he goes to mourn. His heart is broken. He needs to be alone. So what does he do? He withdraws himself to a desolate place to be alone is what it says. What do you do when you are, when you're in pain? What do you do when you're grieving? When you're overwhelmed? Where do you go? When you're filled with sadness and distress? Do you go drink? You party? Binge Korean dramas? Eat junk food? Just go after something that feels good? Do you just try to get lost in games? Do you just try to sleep? To just try to get away from yourself or from whatever it is you're dealing with? Or do you, do, you, do you do what I do? Go to YouTube and learn things for hours and hours, right? Where do you turn when you're in, when you're in pain, when things hurt, when it's uncomfortable? Do you look for people to tell you to encourage you? Do you look for pleasure to drown out the pain? Do you look for an escape? Jesus, when he's at the depths of grief, he withdraws away from people, from things, from pleasure, from food, from everything to be alone. Why does Jesus go to be alone? Is he isolating himself? No, it's not. He goes to be alone because Jesus is never alone. He says in John chapter 8, verse 29, he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Jesus says again and again, God the Father is always with me. I'm always with the Father. He's always with me. So when Jesus is alone, he's getting alone to be with his Father. When Jesus is at is feeling pain and grief and suffering, so much overwhelming sorrow, he doesn't look for people. He doesn't look for approval. He looks to his father because he knows that's where true comfort is. 
That's where lasting peace is. That's where life is. He withdraws to be with his father alone. That's what, and the psalmist, they, they also know this. That's why in Psalm 55, it says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will sustain you. So your burdens, your sorrow, your grief, cast it onto God. For God will be the one to, to give you life. He'll sustain you. He'll get you through. Getting drunk isn't going to do it. Getting high isn't going to sustain you. Watching porn isn't going to sustain you. Running away isn't going to sustain you. Psalm 56 says, when I am afraid, I put my trust, where? In you, in God. Psalm 23 says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because a shepherd is with me. He comforts me. When you run to God, when you withdraw from all things and go to the Father, you're not escaping. You're not ignoring. You're not denying your grief. You're, you're not escaping your pain when you go to God. No. But he enables you to walk through it. And he enables you to walk through your pain by walking with you in your pain. You see, the world tries to make you escape tries to make you deny, tries to make you ignore the things that are going on, tries to make you ignore your fear, ignore your anxiety, ignore the pain, ignore the grief. By doing other things, it deflects and try to cope. But God says, God doesn't let us escape. He lets us walk through it. And as we walk through it with God, as painful as it might be, we're not destroyed. We're transformed by the pain. We're transformed by the grief. We're transformed by the suffering when we are with God. But when we're not with him, the grief, the pain, the failure, it destroys us. It breaks us. It disables us. It paralyzes us, but with God, it purifies us. It teaches us and it grows us. That's why when we face the suffering and the pain and the grief, Jesus withdraws to be with God. Because when we are with God, you are facing your pain and your loss in the light of ultimate reality. Because God is reality. And so we don't turn away from the pain, but we see it for what it is, away from the lies and the distortions of this world. Because when you're, when you're feeling pain and suffering, you know what comes in so easily? Lies and distortions come in so easily. When we lose someone, we feel like we can't live anymore because the lie is your life is dependent on this person. But in the light of truth says, no, your life is not dependent on a person or a thing or a job. It's dependent on God alone. So even in your grief, yes, we mourn the loss of our friends, our family, our things, our lives, but God ultimately, in the reality of God is, but God, as long as I have you, I can get through because all I need is you. 
Even though the, the lies will say, no, you can't live without your mom. You can't move on without your dad. Or you can't move on without this title or this job or without this person in your life. God says, you're more than that. Your life comes from me. And Psalm 63 says, the mouths of all the liars will be stopped when we sit with the Lord and we realize where our life truly comes from. So where do you go? Where do you go to mourn? Where do you go to grieve? Where do you go with your pain? Because when you're hit with tragedy, you're never ready, right? When you're overwhelmed with anxiety, you're not like preparing for it. It just hits you, right? When something unexpected happens in your life, you had no idea what do you do? You don't have time to plan for it. You just react, right? You, when, stuff, when stuff, crazy stuff happens, you just react. You just do what's instinctive, what you, what you're, what's habitual. And most of the time, whatever is habitual to us is destructive, right? Because whenever you feel a little bit of tension in your life that's uncomfortable, what do you do on the weekend? You, you don't like that feeling, so you immediately go and you grab that drink, you feel stressed out because of school or because of your parents. So you go in your room and then what do you do? You, you go and you look, at the, you look at the internet. When you're uncomfortable, you retreat into your phone. When you want to escape from your life and from the pain of your family, you escape into, the, into video game land. You know, when you're feeling depressed, you just like, you just go and you just eat things that you know is, is not good for you? What's your default? Whatever that is, that's what becomes habitual. That becomes instinctive. That becomes your reflex. And then when the world crumbles around you, you know what you're going to reach for? You reach for those things. You build grooves into your mind and into your soul and then you just go into those grooves. When grief hits Jesus, when the deepest of pain hits Jesus, his instinct, his knee-jerk reaction was to withdraw to God, was to be with the Father. Why? Because that is what he did regularly. That was his habit. That was his habitual way. Look at Jesus, when he, when he spent, before he started ministry, what did he do? He spent 40 days alone in the desert, with God. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 says, and ri in rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out into a desolate place, and there he prayed. Luke 5 16, it says he would withdraw to desolate places and pray, meaning that he did this all the time. Every day he went, and he went to go be alone with God. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. Jesus, his habit was to go and get alone with God all the time. And so when tragedy strikes, when pain comes into his life, he goes straight to what he's been practicing. He doesn't even have to think about it. When, when he hears that a close person dies in his life, he doesn't go to his disciples and be like, hey, tell me it's okay, disciples. He doesn't be like, hey, let's get a crowd of people, do some miracles so people can cheer me on. He doesn't go to social media and upload a cool picture and get a bunch of likes to make himself feel a little better for a second. 
He doesn't go and be like, all right, well, I can make wine. Let's turn this whole lake into wine and let's get crazy because I'm feeling pain and I just need to forget it for a little while. And I'm Jesus, so I probably have infinite tolerance anyways. If I get a headache, I can just heal myself. He didn't do that. Jesus had probably plenty of ways to escape. You know what I mean? He'd be like, let me get some clouds. Let's all just fly around. I don't know what Jesus could have done to escape from his pain, but he knows none of that actually will do anything. Jesus goes to the Father because he knows that's the only source, the only one where life and comfort and reality can be faced. Amen? We need to start getting into the habit of going to God, of being alone with him, seeking him, listening for his voice, meditating upon his word. And then as we start to do it, not just in the extreme times in your life, for some of you guys, the only times you go to God is once you've exhausted all the other resources, once you've looked at every other possibility for help, right? You don't know what to do, so you look at Google first, and then you go ask your friends, and then you go ask all these other people, you try these other things, and then once you've done everything, look for all other areas of comfort, and then at the very end, you're like, okay, maybe I'll go to God. Right? We need to go to God first. That needs to be our instinct in life, to go to him first. And so when tragedy does strike, when stress comes in, when anxiety comes into our life, when fear comes in, we, when we start to go to God on a daily basis, then we start to reach for the Bible rather than a bottle. We start to reach out in prayer rather than in pornography. We look to the gospel instead of gaming. When we face pain and tragedy, we do what we do every day. We need to make it a habit to reach out to God and to be with Him. You know, when I was in high school, this terrible tragedy happened. In Columbine High School, there was the first huge mass shooting that happened in a school. And it was horrible. No, the country never seen anything like it. Gun, students went in with trench coats and shot up and killed so many people. And there was one of, one, of some, one of the stories that came out of that was there was a girl and the gunman came up to her and said, do you believe in God? And she looked at him and said, yes, I do. And then he shot her in the head and that's how she died. And I remember in high school hearing about that and her story went all, all over the world. And I remember as a young Christian in high school, I was like, that's how I want to go. That's how I want to die. I want to die like declaring my faith for Jesus. I want to die as a martyr. I want to stand for him. That like became my like goal in life to die for Jesus. That like, I'm like, I, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to make this happen, but like, I want to go to like crazy countries where people are like getting persecuted. So like my chances of dying for Jesus will get higher. Like I remember like sitting in high school, being in class, like imagining like people walking in the door with guns and like preparing my lines. Like I'm ready. I know what I'm going to say. You know what I mean? I'm going to like preach the gospel to him or something. You know, I'm like so ready. And I remember so like thinking that, being like I want to like die for Jesus. You know, and I was like, you know, that was like my little, like that was my heart. And I remember like saying that to some older Christian, like some leader, you know, I'm like, you know, like I want to die for Jesus. I want to go out like that, you know? And I, you know, I think part of me was like expecting him to be really impressed. Like, oh, so holy, right? This holy high schooler, 
like wants to die for Jesus. You know, I don't know. I don't know what I expected, but I expected something. And then he looks at me and he's like, that's fine. You know, he's like, he's like, try living for him first. And I was like, oh, <laughs> he's like, you think it's easy to die for him? You have to live for him. Because the thing is, we die the way we live. You think that you can just live your life going to other things, desiring other things, and then at the way end of your life, you're just suddenly going to want God? You think at the, you spend your whole life chasing after other things, looking to other things, and then at the way end of your life, you're just suddenly going to be like, oh, wait, wait, I just want you, God. You think you're going to spend your whole life living for other things and then you're going to die for Jesus all of a sudden? Stop kidding yourself. We die the way we live. If you want to die for Jesus, then you got to live for him. If you think you're going to reach out to Jesus in the crisis of your life, in the grief and in the pain, then you got to reach out to him in the everyday mundane. When you make it the habit of your life to search and to withdraw, to be with your father in the secret place, when there's no tragedy, when actually life is really good, then when the fires come, when people come in guns blazing, then you'll be able to stand. So where are you? To where do you go? When the grief hits, are you comfortable? Is it become a habit for you to just get alone with God, to seek Him? So Jesus goes to be alone with His Father because He's filled with grief. And then He goes to be alone, and you know what He sees? A crowd of people waiting for Him. It's like an introvert's worst nightmare. <laughs> you know, you just want to be alone. And you're like having a terrible day. You're so tired. You like go home just so you could just like be alone. And just like, I don't know. Yeah, maybe you're holy too. And you just want to go and be alone and so you could pray. You know what I mean? And then you go home and then there's a bunch of people at your house. And they need stuff from you. They need you to do things. They're like, hey. Can you like help us out? Like, what would you do? I know what I would do. I'd be like, guys, church is over. <laughs> Get out, <laughs> right? I don't know what I would say. I'd be like, listen, my cousin just died. Can I have like a couple hours by myself, please? Like I spent all these last three years giving to you guys without pay. I just need three hours to be alone. Isn't that what we would... I mean, and what would people be like? Oh, of course. You got to take care of yourself, Jesus. You got to like self-care. Isn't that what our world tells us? Hey, 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 like you got to take care of you first. What does Jesus do? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. That is not what our world tells us to do. Our world says, you take care of you. 
Oh yeah, helping people is great, but yeah, if it's if it comes at a cost to your well-being, then don't do it. That's not the heart of Christ. Even in the depths of his pain and his grieving, and his only desire is to go be with his father in heaven, he looks at a crowd of people and God, his father, Jesus is saying, I need to be alone with you, God. But the father says, yes, my son, I know you want to be with me alone, but right now I need you to take care of these people. And you know what Jesus does? He takes care of the people because you know what the other habit of Jesus was? Not just to go be alone with God, but the other habit Jesus had was to always put the the will of his father over his own. Yeah, I bet the one thing Jesus wanted to do at that time was to just grieve. But, But the father says, there'll be time for that. But I need you to do this first. And so Jesus sacrifices his own will for the will of the father. And he loves the people. Even when it hurts. Even when he has nothing left even when he's in pain. Because that's what he will do again on the cross. There's another time where he says, where he has his will and his will is, God, I don't want, I don't want to bear the cross. It's too painful. If there's another way, take this cup away from me, but not Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus was in the habit of saying, not my will, but yours be done. Not self-care, not self-preservation, but the will of God above my own. And he sees a crowd and he heals them and he has compassion on them and he loves them and he feeds them. Where are you? Are you in the habit of, when it comes to your desire and God's, what do you always default to? Jesus always defaults to the Father's will. And that led him to love you and me. Let's ask. Let's fight to be more like him. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to the Han Vision Podcast. We hope you were blessed. Join us next week on Han Vision.